so it's really these these frameworks that until now were sort of the purview of, of clinicians that we're trying to expose to sort of the general public to say, here's how you could use them. Because quite honestly, the same way the knowledge was previously the purview of physicians, where we had all the information, and now that we've democratized it, but we haven't democratized the process of how to approach that information. So that's kind of what the book's trying to do. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 47 of Be More Well. This week, I am speaking with Dr. Kapil Parak, and we're going to be discussing the best practices for searching online for health advice. But first, Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast hosted by me, Jeff St. Pierre. What do I know about wellness? Almost nothing. But that's why I started this podcast, because I wanted to talk to people from all across the wellness spectrum. I wanted to learn. Anybody who's got a story to tell about how they found mindfulness and wellness in their life, that's what I'm looking for. Ultimately, my goal here is to provide you with some information and hopefully some inspiration that will make you happier, healthier, less stressed, more mindful. I I just want you all to be more well. Feels good to be back. Sorry for the uh, two-week break there. A little unexpected, but over the last couple of weeks, I've had every member of my family visiting my house to meet my daughter. I'll say this. It was great to have them here, and I'm so glad that they finally got to meet their granddaughter and niece for the very first time. Thank goodness for vaccines. But I will say it was a lot. It's hard to stay on top of things uh, when you've got a full house and an infant that all need your care at the same time. Uh, But I'm back, and I'm ready to share a great conversation with you today. So we've all Googled our symptoms before. You know, if you say you haven't, you're just a liar. There are a few websites that kind of lead the game in online diagnoses. Uh, WebMD.com is probably the biggest one. It's so big that it's kind of become a joke. You know, you've heard people say, I went to WebMD to search my symptoms, and it turns out I've got stage four cancer and three days left to live. I know whenever my wife tells me she searched her symptoms, I get nervous because she always gets hyper-focused on the most negative and worst things that she sees, but I can't blame her. It's easy to see those things and get nervous. You type in something like runny nose and a headache, and you're going to get some very common diagnoses, but your eyes always gravitate to the brain tumor, even though the likelihood of that is so much smaller. While searching our symptoms online can drive us nuts, it can also be beneficial to us and our doctors. We're in a time right now where primary care physicians are spread thin and it's hard to get in to see them. Having a good grasp on what's going on in our bodies is helpful for them to help us. But how do we sift through all that misinformation and craziness online so that we get the best information for us? Dr. Kapil Parak and Anna Dirksen have put together a book designed to help us use the web to our advantage. It's called Searching for Health, the smart way to find information online and put it to use. I really like the way it's set up, and I'll talk more about that with Dr. Parak in today's conversation. But before we jump into that, though, be sure to follow Be More Well on whatever platform you're using right now. Just go ahead and click that subscribe button so you'll be notified of all future episodes and updates. I would appreciate it if you could rate the show and leave a review. That kind of interaction helps the podcast powers that be know which shows are making an impact and helps us suggest them to new listeners. It would be seriously amazing if you could just take a minute and rate and review. Also, we're on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. Please feel free to send me a DM with any comments or questions or even guest or topic ideas. I do love hearing from you guys about what you want to learn more about. 
Also, a couple of weeks ago, I started a little Be More Well side project. It's called Be More Well Backstage Pass. I'm going to be talking with artists and authors and different people that maybe don't fall into the wellness spectrum of things, but they still have a really cool story to tell. So the first episode of that is up featuring artist Emma White, and I've got a new one coming your way later this week with Tennille Arts. Really excited for that one, too. So check out those when you get a chance. One quick second. There's like this timer that's beeping in the background. I'm just going to turn that off. Sure. Sorry about that. It was like an oven timer and uh, forgotten to turn it off before this. And I just heard a beeping and I'm like, it's going to beep all through if you don't, you know what I mean? I do. I actually had a situation last week. I've got a, a four and a half month old daughter and oh, uh, nice. I didn't realize that when the battery died on one of her video monitors, that it would start beeping incessantly. So I'm sitting in the house oh, and I'm no. like, we don't even have alarm clocks in the house. Yeah. So what is this sound <laughs> that's going on? I sat for about two hours before I figured out it was the monitor going off in a oh, different room. I had no idea. It's <laughs> oh, so frustrating. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Brock, welcome to Baltimore. I should say welcome back to Baltimore because you spent yeah, some time over thanks. here. When did you live in Baltimore? So 2003 to 2006. Okay, so a short uh, time there, and you were at Bayview? Yeah. Uh, I was. I mean, I, I lived in Baltimore for a short, but I was at Hopkins for a decade, so I was commuting from D.C., um, so very familiar with Baltimore. Well, I'm sorry you had to make that commute. <laughs> yes. I mean, thankfully, it was uh, reverse traffic, so um, That's true. I, I, at the time, at least, I tried to tell myself it wasn't that bad, but looking back, I'm like, wow, that was a lot of commuting. It's funny to think, like, I remember as a kid driving three hours to visit my grandparents, and it was like the end of the world. And now I'm like, well, we'll hop in the car and go to the beach. It's three hours away. That's nothing. We'll make it that's happen. Not bad. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, how time has changed, right? <laughs> Indeed. It's all perspective. Uh, where are you now? Uh, in D.C. I've been oh. in D.C. Um, for almost a decade now. Okay, great. Um, well, I guess my first question for you is going to be, how much do you hate WebMD? <laughs> I don't. Um, I think, you know, I, I, again, this is what we try and outline in the book um, is it's it's really not, and you can make the same case about like all the blogs and everything else out there. I think it's sort of understanding what the information means and how to make use of it is far more important um, than like, you know, sort of putting down a particular source of information. I think they're all important. They bring a different point of view and a perspective. So I'll give you an example as a, as a very tangible way to illustrate this. So suppose you have a blog, right? Somebody's writing about their personal experience with cancer and they detail all the things about like how it was to go through chemotherapy and you know, their trials and tribulations. Now, on the one hand, you know, that could be, um, I would not use that as a source for which chemotherapy regimen you wanna be on. Um, but on the other hand, if you want to get a sense of what it feels like to go through chemo and um, either get some tips on how to make that process better, things like hydration or, you know, sort of simple things like that, there's no physician that can tell you that, oh, if you hydrate up the morning before chemo or have this combination of like juicing, it actually kind of felt a little bit better, right? Like that's just something that's not in the medical literature. And it, you might find little tricks like that that help you through sort of tough situations. And you could, you could quite likely only find that on the web, right? Yeah. So it's, it's really understanding how to use different pieces of information to help you um, and how not to use them um, in ways that could be particularly um, dangerous. 
I guess that's the trick because it, it is kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's amazing to have access to all of this information because we've never had access to some of this before as a general public. But on the yeah. other hand, you've got people that will use that access for evil and not for good. And they'll post things that are completely, I mean, just think about the last year with the pandemic for crying out loud. I mean, just all of the misinformation that's been put out there for what, you know, like people that are putting the misinformation out there, what are you really gaining from this? But, but it's there, people read it and then they think, well, I saw it on the internet. This is real. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and that's exactly right. Right. So if you find something that seems suspicious, particularly on a site that's trying to sell you something, um, you know, don't confirm it with other sources, ideally confirm it with something that's authoritative um, like uh, a CDC or um, even like, you know, big organizations like Mayo Clinic, et cetera, pretty reliable uh, professional bodies. Um, so we, you know, one of the things we try and do is outline that in the book is like, how do you, what are the frameworks clinicians use and doctors use and how can you use that to sort of sort information into different um, sort of components and in ways that you'd use it, right? Like some of it is for emotional support, some of it is for making medical decisions and and then how do you take that back to the doctor? Um, you, you touched upon this idea that, you know, we didn't have access to all of this information before. And um, one of the things that we, we talk about is even trained professionals who have access to this information um, can fall into certain pitfalls. So um, there's something we call a, a medical student's disease. Um, and that is every medical student when they're going through uh, uh, their training at some point gets a fatal illness. And that's the joke at least. And so the idea is you're reading about all of these symptoms and you get something mundane and you're like, oh, I read about this disease, maybe I have it. And even with all that training, you quite likely freak yourself out. It happened to me. Um, and I was like, it, I, I read about medical students disease before I got you know, really convinced that I had something dangerous. So even though you know about it, right? And with all that training, you can quite easily fall into that trap. Um, and so it's really about like trying to be careful in terms of piecing this apart. And, and so um, it's not an easy thing. And you no, know, that was like me going through all these textbooks. Now I imagine somebody on the web finding, you know, loads of information that's sometimes even more detailed than what we learned about in the textbooks and not knowing what to do with it. So it's really this idea of how do you help people through that journey, which can be which can be hard. And I imagine too, you know, it's different as a doctor versus as a patient, as a patient, when you're looking up your symptoms and trying to figure out what you might have, you probably want the lowest level of anything. You know, you want the most common curable disease, but as a doctor, sometimes you might be thinking, Oh, I want the crazy thing. Cause I've never seen this before. Like I want to be able to treat you know, this crazy, there's an episode of Scrubs and I know it's a, a TV show. I get it. I'm not trying to compare what you do to a sitcom, but there's an episode of Scrubs where uh, one of the main characters thinks he's come across this flesh eating bacteria case and sure. all the other doctors are like, you're crazy. Like, do you know yeah. the the likelihood that you just found flesh eating bacteria? It turns out to be, you know, for the drama of the show, but sure. it, it's just, he was so excited to say like, wow, I get a chance to treat this disease that we never get to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it's really sort of a step beyond that. So you, you hit upon something which is patients think of sort of that journey differently than doctors do, right? Um, and if it's actually, if you think about it, it's informed by our other search patterns. So, uh, you know, uh, working at Google, like one of the things we explore is these search journeys and search patterns that people make. And when you're searching in general, people are looking for an answer. So when you're searching for uh, a place to eat, you would look for one restaurant. You don't need five, right? And so you 
sort of narrow it down until you get an answer and you're done. But when you have a symptom, you don't want to narrow it down to one condition. At least doctors don't go, go about it that way. What we do is we come up with a list of possibilities. It's called a dif differential diagnosis. And most people don't have a sense of, you know, how to even do that. And then how do you approach sort of that list? And the way we do it as physicians and kind of like you outlined in the, in the episode of Scrubs is you find the most dangerous thing on that and make sure that's not the case. Mm. And, and if, you know, anything is possible, so you don't put every possibility in that. And there's another thing, um, which is when you hear uh, hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. Mm. So the idea is that you want to explore the more common and more likely things first, not just esoteric things. But if there is something dangerous on that list, you want to you want to make sure you rule that out first, rather than focus on the most likely but mundane thing. So somebody comes in, they might have a cold, sure, but it might also be COVID. So you want to make sure that you rule them out for COVID and not just send them home saying, "Oh, you have the sniffles." It's probably nothing, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so it's really these these frameworks that until now were sort of the purview of, of clinicians that we're trying to expose to sort of the general public to say, here's how you could use them. Because quite, quite honestly, the same way the knowledge was also previously the purview of physicians where we had all the information and now that we've democratized it, but we haven't democratized the process of how to approach that information. So that's kind of what the book's trying to do. I like at the beginning of the book, you, you referenced the fact that part of the rise of the everyday person going online, trying to figure out what's going on with them is because doctors have become a little less accessible over the last few years. You know, it's harder to get appointments or they have to spend more time doing paperwork, whatever the reason may be. Sure. And that's it's interesting for a physician or for a doctor to point that out and say, look, it's just harder for us to see as many patients as we'd like to see. I mean, wouldn't the, the I guess the rational explanation in my head is maybe is there a way that we can see more patients, you know, or become yeah. more accessible? No, I, I mean, I think that's that's true. It, it's it's, but it's not harder. It's always been hard, mm. I think. And so, you know, it's, it's not that there is a particular, I mean, there's, there's an ongoing shortage of doctors, but it's not that the situation is that much worse than 10 or 20 years ago. We have less time than we did before, mostly due to paperwork. But um, the actual, like, getting into the doctor's office, it, it has always been a problem, right? Like, if you, if you look back, like, at 4 p.m. on a Saturday, whether it's now or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you would still have a hard time getting to the doctor. The difference is back in the day, what you had was phone lines. They'd call them phone triage lines and you still have them now, but you call the doctor's office and they say, you know, there's an answering service that can help you. And you call the answering service and there's a nurse on the other end who will sort of walk you through a protocol. And if you can't do all of that, you go to the emergency uh, department, right? So those are sort of the mechanisms that have been put in place. And so the result was there's this big gap, um, you know, Saturday at 4 p.m. or 4 a.m., like your choices are either the emergency room or potentially a triage line if you're lucky enough to get one, or wait for two days till you can get in to see a, a physician. And so the internet fills that gap where you can go online and, you know, before people would call their friends and say, hey, have you ever had this? Like, what do I do with this? Or my kids got this, what do I do with this? And so that's the gap that the internet is filling. And, and the challenge therein is you're sort of in this situation where you're Desperate is a strong word, but you're you're keenly trying to solve this problem. And now you get this overwhelming amount of information thrown at you, and you're like having a hard time sort of figuring that out. 
And that's tough. I mean, you Google anything and you're just going to get, you know, a, a list of information. And it, it is tough as an everyday person that doesn't know anything about, um, you know, what's going on. I know uh, for me, just a few years ago, I had, um, I, I never, I feel like I never say it right, but I had kind of a, a rare situation called a pneumomediastinum. Um, okay. uh, and it was, it's like one of those things that even the doctor was like, you're not an 85 year old woman that smoked for her entire life. Why do you have this? Like this shouldn't That's be right. happening. It's an odd thing. Yeah, yeah. But like even going in, even talking to a doctor, they were like, well, you might have this, or have you tried using your inhaler? And I'm like, no, there's a lot of different symptoms. So it, it, it is tough because it could be so many different things. That, and I don't know what the hell is going on. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. And it, I mean, you know, to some extent, it's like a little bit like taking your car to the mechanic, right? Like you sort of are at, um, to some extent, the mercy of the system. And, and I think what we try and do is find that sort of boundary, right? Like, uh, on the one hand, you could, and this is kind of what used to happen before, like, you're the doctor, you figure everything out. And, and, and that's not a perfect system either. That's called paternalism, where like the doctors essentially decide, um, but you want to be engaged and involved because some decisions are black and white. You have an infection, you need antibiotics. That's kind of pretty straightforward. But other things like you have air in your mediastinum, there's a couple of different things we could do. Like that might be a discussion of like, do you want to watch it for a while? Do you want to do a procedure? Do you want to like go through those things? And that depends a little bit more on your values and what's important to you in your life and like what else is going on, how much risk you're willing to take, those kinds of things. Um, and so that becomes a, a decision-making process that we call shared decision-making. And the, and the challenge with shared decision-making is you essentially have two very unequal parties. You have somebody with many, many years of knowledge and experience and expertise. And yes, you know your body and you kind of know your beliefs and values, but you don't have a framework in which to have a leg up in that discussion to say like, okay, this is what's coming to me. It's going to be this flood of information. Here's how I'm going to process it. And here's how I'm going to like make my decisions and voice my concerns and make sure I'm heard and I have my own um, we call, for example, a patient agenda where you have, uh, you know, your sort of things that are important to you and how do you bring that up in an interview, right, you know, with your physician and, and collaborate together. Because um, ultimately, everyone is sort of on the same team. We're all trying to get a patient better. Um, the, 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 the goal is to make you more, an effect, more, a more effective member of that team. I do like how you lay it out to you in the book. Um, you, you got like a, a workbook pages basically at the end exactly. of each chapter that ask questions and, and, you know, looking through those, I, I have a weird thing about writing in books, but looking through them, I'm reading the questions and I'm like, these are, these are very intuitive. And these are questions that maybe I wouldn't ask if I were in a moment of panic thinking like, I'm going to go on Google, I'm going to find what's wrong with me. I need to know right now, but they are important questions to ask. And I'm glad that you put that in there. Um, so for people that pick up the book, it really is a great way to kind of narrow down in a lot of situations, what you're looking for or what you should keep your eyes open for. No, and thank you for, for pointing that out. So we try to have three components in the book. We had stories and anecdotes to draw people in. And that's, Really, Anna, who's uh, my co-author, she trained as a journalist. She really is great at bringing the material to life. And so we don't want to be super boring and just a bunch of like instructions. So, so that brings it to life a little bit. Then we bring out insights from the doctors, like the frameworks we talked about just now and, and things like that. And then we have the practical component of here's how you can apply this in your daily life. And so, you know, I, I see the book used in sort of two different ways. One is Someone like you, you've read it now and you, you put it aside. And at some point when you need something, you pick it up back up and hopefully flip to that section and it's useful to you. Or like you're dealing with something and you pick it up and you 
you know, you've been diagnosed with a condition and you want to figure out the treatment. So you go to the surgery page or, you know, chapter and you go through those, you go through the worksheets and you solve that problem for yourself then and there. So the idea was that it could be a, you know, something that either you or if you want to, for your loved ones or a gift or whatever, but like the people could use it in a couple of different ways. And so it's a resource for you, either like something that you just know and is at the back of your mind or when you're actively dealing with something, it could be useful. And I'm glad that you look at it that way, too, because when I sat down to read through it to prepare for this conversation, I was reading it and I was like, you know what, I I don't think that I need to read all of this right now. Like, I think right. there's going to come a time when maybe this chapter will mean more to me than exactly. right now at this moment. And I, I do think, as you said, it's the kind of thing that it's good to have handy. Like, it's great to have around, you know, should you find yourself in a situation where you need a little extra help figuring out the knowledge? Yeah, it's... Um... You know, we've gotten such good feedback early on. One of my friends um, who happened to read the book is dealing with like a, a personal situation where like they're doing some end of life decision making. And he was like, it's been so helpful to have that chapter. And he hasn't read any, else, any, any other part of the book, but that one chapter, because that's what they're dealing with right now. And, and so it has become like this quite, quite a good resource for them. And so my hope is that people will flip through it and, you know, put it away. And then when the time comes, like you said, you, you pull it up um, and it's there for you. Um, another friend who's giving it to her mom for Mother's Day mm. and her idea is the same. Like, you know, she's getting older. She might need it down the road. She's healthy right this moment, but you just never know when things turn. And so that way you have it as a resource. I think resource is a great word for that, especially now, uh, given that a lot of things have shifted to sort of a telehealth world. And, and personally, I love that. I, I think it's great to have that option. Um, as a whole, I'm a fairly healthy human being. I, I have issues. I have asthma. But there are certain conversations I can have with a doctor over telehealth where, like, I've had asthma my entire life. Like, I kind of know what I'm dealing with, and I can describe whatever situation I'm in. And sometimes that can get me the answer very easily through a Zoom call like you and I are having yep. right now. Yep. Uh, I don't need to make an appointment to go in there and figure this out. And But having Absolutely. your book is a great way for people to sort of have the basis for when they go into a telehealth call. That's exactly right. I mean, that's one of the things I'm so glad you brought that up. That's one of the things we thought through, right? It's like... So you have these, this list of differential, you've gone through your symptoms and now you're like, okay, what now? And so the next steps are, and we outline those resources. And so it's wonderful that the like menu of options has increased over time. So like I said, in the like eighties and nineties, you just had like a phone call, you could do a triage line, but now you can do telehealth. And the nice thing about telehealth is sure, you could, you could, you know, have this quick zoom call, you're empowered, you've got your checklist and then you sort of let the physician do their job. And if they say, you know, all this is great. You're an expert patient in that sense. You really know your body. I'm really glad you brought this up, but I'm worried about this one thing, which you might not have noticed. Like, mm -hmm. I need you to come in, either get labs or I need to listen to your lungs or something else. But what telehealth does is it shortens that time, right? Like, so you, you can jump on a telehealth call like Monday morning, but maybe you'll go in person on Thursday or Friday. And so like, you can get to there much faster and then they can help you on that journey. And it's either that or it's that peace of mind. Like, you're right. Everything checks out. You're doing great. Off you go. And then you go on with the rest of your life. And so that's the other thing about healthcare is oftentimes it tends to be episodic, right? Like, so yeah, on the whole, we generally should be taking care of ourselves. We eat right and all that good stuff. But when you need the health system, those tend to be episodic things. And so how do you make them the most efficient way through that episode? Sort of like, how do you get through it quickly and efficiently and like with a, a good outcome at the end that you're happy with and that, you know, you get the best care. 
And that's kind of part of this journey is like, get all the information you need, process it in a good way and like make use of it. It's sort of like, you know, if you were applying for college or if you were buying a house, like these big decisions that affect your life. If somebody told you stay off the internet, don't go look at anything, like just go trust whatever the real estate agent tells you and don't ever do your own research. You know, you'd be like, that's ludicrous. Um, but that's exactly what people tell you for healthcare, right? And they're like, just stay off the internet. That's just going to scare you. I think there's a middle ground there. I think there is some utility that could be had throwing the baby with the bathwater out a little bit. I think you're right when you call it a utility. It, it's another it's another piece of information in whatever battle you may be fighting. What I worry about is when people start taking too much of it and not listening to their doctor after the fact. You that's know, right. and that's that's I think where you can where there can be a concern. I think we've seen a lot more of that as we mentioned earlier in this conversation. Seen a lot more of that with the rise of misinformation about things, you know, COVID vaccines, whatever, just in this last year, right. you have people that are going to go to their doctor and the doctor may say, Hey, look, just get the vaccine. You're good. And they're going to like, well, no, I'm not going to do that because Bill Gates is going to shoot tracking information into my arm or whatever the situation may be. So we yeah. get, we get a culture of people that are now no longer going to listen to the doctor. And that's, yeah. that's the scary part. A hundred percent agree. I mean, that's the cornerstone of the book is collaboration, right? Like in the end, go in as an empowered patient, but then let the doctor do, do their job. Like they have so much training. They're on your side. They're trying to get you better. They don't have an ulterior motive. Most doctors aren't trying to like, you know, if you, if you want to just make a lot of money, you'd end up on Wall Street or something, right? Like this is not why most people went into the profession. It was really to help people and make a difference. And so um, take advantage of that training, find a way to like get your questions answered and get, you know, sort of get to the outcomes that you're hoping for. In, in, on the physician side, you know, when I see patients who come in, right, like um, with a sheaf of printouts or like with, oh, I Googled all this and I found all this information, I try hard to think of them as this person is empowering themselves. They're, they might not have the right information, but they are worried about their health. They're engaged. They went online. They took the trouble to go online 30, 40, 50 minutes, sometimes a couple of hours to find all this information, sometimes printed out or whatever. That's a pretty engaged person, right? And so that's a good thing. And so how can you channel that in the right way? So you first of all, acknowledge all the work that they've done and, and ex understand where they're coming from. And then you redirect them to like, okay, look, I'm glad you did all this research. Here's what the science shows. Agree that some of it is not perfect, but here's what we know is advantages. And here's the risks that you're taking and try and frame it in ways that they understand based on what they've done. I'll give you an example specific to the vaccine. So somebody um, that I take care of told me, you know, doc, I, I just don't want to do the vaccine. And so we had this conversation and the conversation shifted to a different part. And, and we started talking about the stent in his heart. And he said, do I need another catheterization to check it out? You know, I said, no, no, generally. Cause he's like, you know, if you do just go ahead and do it. I, I'm not worried about that at all. That's not, to me, that's not risky. You should just do it. And I'm like, you know, a minute ago, you told me you're too concerned about the risk of the coronavirus vaccine which, you know, if you look at it, millions of people have gotten in the rate of side effects is in the order of less than one in a hundred thousand or something along those lines. Whereas if you did the same amount of catheterizations, you would have had a hundred thousand strokes or heart attacks because the risk of that is, a, is you know, on the order of a percentage uh, point or so because it's that much higher. And I've had patients who've been had completely normal arteries but because when the catheter went in, it scraped an artery the long way, they needed bypass surgery because that, that artery got cut open. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, see, this is how like you have to assess risk. 
and, and it was a great conversation, but it was this idea of like, instead of dismissing him, like, hey, that's all nonsense. Like, you know, just go get the vaccine. It's perfectly safe. You sort of meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. Now that takes work, that takes effort. And the book is hope, helping sort of bridge that divide a little bit in that if we can do some of that work for the physician ahead of time. So when you, you know, the patient comes in, there's less of a gap to cross. Hopefully that'll be, you know, a better outcome for everybody. Yeah. And I like how you, how you mentioned in there, you know, doctors are trying to get you better. Like they're not just here to take your money. They're trying to get you better. I always say no pilot is trying to crash the plane. You know what I mean? Yes, like exactly. no doctor is walking in there going, I'm going to screw with this guy today. Like I'm going to make That's his right. life miserable. No, you're yeah. all trying to help people get better. And if there's a great team effort there between patient and doctor, it makes it even better, you know, because you guys exactly. are working together. Yep. No, that's the goal. And in the books, like one more tool, one more resource to help, you know, that team work a little bit better. Dr. Kapil Parak, uh, tell me where people can find more information about the book. It's called Searching for Health, the smart way to find information online and put it to use. Yeah, no, thank you. So it's searchingforhealth.org. Um, and, you know, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles and uh, local bookstores as well. Awesome. I, I really love it. I, I think we talked about this before, but I love how it's a great resource. It's not really the kind of book that you necessarily need to sit down and read cover to cover. It's got a lot of different chapters that break down the different situations you may find yourself in. And it's great to, to yank out there and use the workbook pages and everything to uh, to help in the, uh, in the battle that you may be facing <laughs> with your health. I love it, man. It's such a great work. That's Thank you it. so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Enjoy the conversation. Huge thank you to Dr. Parak for his time. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you'll check out the book. I really think there's a lot of beneficial information in here. Also, thank you to all of you for sharing some of your day with me. Until next time, be well.